Our theme for this year is living by the book. We want to be like the Thessalonians in our approach to the Bible. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica and said, When you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. When we started this series this year, this theme, uh, we looked at David's understanding of the Bible, and we saw in Psalm 19 how many different terms he used uh, for the book, for the Bible. He called it the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts, the commands, the fear, the ordinances of the Lord. And with each one of those phrases, he told us something about the book. David said, the book is complete. He said it transforms people. He said it's reliable, that it will make you wise, that it gives you the right path, that it gives us joy. That it enlightens our lives. That it makes us where we can see clearly. He said it was without fault. That it's relevant today. And he said it's true and entirely good. We spent a week thinking about all those things so that we understood that the book is the only way to live life. It's the guide, the the unmistakable guide for our lives. So that's our theme this year. Let's look at a number of different topics and see what the book has to say about them and then try to live by the book. Our first series, if you remember, was living eternally by the book. Lots of different ideas about how to get to heaven. Ask folks on the street, are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, well, how are you going to get there? Well, this way, that way, the other way. Uh, All that's fine and good and interesting, but if you want to live eternally, you better do it by the book. The book says there's one way to heaven and explains it. So we looked at that, and then we spent four weeks talking about living confidently by the book. Uh, As we go through life, uh, we have assurance of our salvation. And we looked at four different things that showed us that assurance and how we can live confidently in Christ by the book. Today we start a brand new series, and I've entitled it Kingdom Living by the Book. Kingdom Living by the Book. What we're going to do is spend quite a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Hopefully this look at the Sermon on the Mount will be a little different perspective than we've ever looked at it before, perhaps, uh, than we've ever studied this famous sermon uh, in this way before. Our verse, to guide our thoughts... Is Matthew 6.33. We just sang that verse. Uh, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, a little preview. I have, we have a question for later we're going to talk about. I put it on your handout. It's 2 Corinthians 13.5, which says, Examine yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, put that on the very edge of your consciousness. Just keep it kind of out there and uh, basically take what I'm going to say for the next 30 minutes. Take it personally, because we're going to come back to that question a little bit later. But our main verse, the one that we're basing this series around, is is seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. We're going to see if we can figure out what that means. 
Uh, first of all, we know there are differences in cultures. From very simple things to how we greet each other. Some cultures bow, some cultures shake hands, some cultures do other things. Uh, when we went to Venezuela, Mark and I, a couple of years ago, uh, one of the first lessons Jonathan had to teach us, in fact, he taught it right after we met he and uh, a young lady at the uh, airport uh, because we were kind of shocked by how she greeted us. And Jonathan said, all right, now in this culture, you got to learn to greet all the women with a kiss on the cheek. And here's how you do it. You hug this way and you put your cheek over here and she'll put her cheek over there and you kind of air kiss beside her cheek and that's the way you greet. So Mark and I had to learn how to do that. In that culture, to get along, uh, you had to learn that. All cultures are different. And some have much more complex differences of what's acceptable and what's not. Here's an example I found uh, by looking for cultural differences. Uh, this sign right here. If I do this to you guys, you probably think I'm saying okay. Well, in different cultures, it means different things. In Russia, I guess that's how they say zero. In Japan, I meant to ask Paul, is that true? This supposedly means money in Japan. And in Brazil, it's some kind of insult. I don't know how horrible an insult. So if there's Brazilians here, I apologize. <laughs> Maybe need to. Uh, but you get the point. Culture's got different things. People behave differently in different cultures. How many of you have been to another country outside of the United States? Okay, did you notice differences there? Did you feel, I, I, I have to behave a little differently than I do back home? How many of you have ever spotted a foreigner in the United States? How do you know? Well, you know, they, they act different, they dress different, they, they talk a little different. If you get close enough to talk to them, you can tell they're from a different culture. When I talk about kingdom living in this series, I'm talking about a different culture. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My followers don't behave like people in the kingdom of the world. That's what he told Pilate. We're told throughout the Bible, we're supposed to, we've got to live in the world, but we can't love the world. We can't be of the world. That means we can't live like the world. If we're in his kingdom, we're in a different culture. Now, we're going to look at that in more detail in the weeks to come, but this morning what I want to do is take a real overview. In fact, I want to let the king himself explain his kingdom. And if you'll listen to it that way and see if you notice any differences. So let's start with the context. We're in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, 5, 6, and 7, famously called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the context of this is important. Where are we in the Bible, first of all? Well, you say, well, Matthew, that's the first book in the New Testament. Okay, well, there's a clue. We're going from something to something else. 
there's a dramatic change taking place here. We're going from something old to something new, if you will. And if you go through the Old Testament and read that, you'll see a little different picture of things. You'll see Sinai and the law and thunder and lightning and judgment and cursing. And you get over to the New Testament and you find grace and peace and blessing. There's a dramatic change here. Same God deals with us a little bit differently. The context in the the political realm at this time when Jesus came to speak this sermon, the people wanted a king. That's how they were looking at him. They didn't see him as a religious teacher, really. They wanted a king. They were tired of the Romans. They had had enough of that oppression. They wanted somebody to throw the Romans out. They wanted somebody to lead a revolution and to rule by power. And they probably thought maybe they'd had a good chance at a welfare state, too, since Jesus fed people for free. They looked to him as the king. Religiously, the context that this sermon is in is there were a lot of different groups within Judaism. The Pharisees were the traditionalists, the legalists. You do it this way, here are the rules, you don't break the rules. If you follow all the rules, you're all right. The Sadducees were the modernists. Oh, we need to be liberal about all this. We need to interpret things in the present day. We can't be so strict about all these things. The Essenes were a little group that said, you just got to get out of the world. You just got to separate yourself. You got to go move out in the wilderness and live out there. Get away from all this worldly stuff. The Zealots, who one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot, was a politically religious fellow. They thought there was a social solution, a political solution to the social problems. Well, let's work in society and fix it up by getting rid of the Romans. Now, does that sound familiar in any way? It ought to. That's exactly where we are today. We've got all kinds just like that. We have very traditional legal folks who say this is the way to do religion. We got very liberal modern folks who say, oh, you got to be a little loosey about this stuff and, and interpret the modern day thing and do things differently. Because some say just get out of the world completely. Just withdraw. Got some say no, to be religious, to really serve God, you got to be socially active and you got to fix the world's problems. We got all that today. Into this context comes the speaker. The speaker was Jesus, of course. And I don't think we can have any idea how popular he was at this time. If you read in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds came from Galilee, 
from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, from the region across the Jordan, and followed him. You get this? There were people coming from the north and south and east and west to see Jesus. And they were all kinds, all the kinds that we had described. Plus the sick and the demon-possessed and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots and the prostitutes and the publicans. All kinds. Everybody was coming to see this Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on them. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Now when he saw the crowds, he sat down and began to teach. When he saw the crowds, that's a phrase throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. One place in Matthew says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He saw their physical hunger and he fed them. But he knew there was a spiritual hunger. And he fed that also. He tried to fill that. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. On a mountainside. Which mountain? We don't know. Just somewhere along the Sea of Galilee. Just one of the slopes that sloped down to the water. And a place that was convenient. And he went up there and sat down. When the rabbis of that day sat and spoke. That was the official teaching. And that's what Jesus did. He sat and opened his mouth. That was a colloquialism for something that was serious and grave and weighty and solemn when you opened your mouth and spoke. So the speaker went to the mountainside, sat down, opened his mouth, and began to teach them. He begins the sermon with point one. What are the citizens of the kingdom like? Now, understand, in these three chapters, he's explaining the kingdom to people, mainly to his disciples, the ones who understand a little bit. And the rest of the people, they heard it and probably didn't understand it too well. I'm sure they were shocked by it, but the disciples were shocked by it too. And he said, the citizens of my kingdom, and he, it's all backwards, isn't it? It's not a description of anything you'd really like to be a part of. He talks about them being nobodies, you know, poor in spirit and sad and meek and hungering and thirsting and merciful and peacemakers and persecuted. And he says these folks are happy and they're blessed. The word means happy in its simplest translation. It's a little deeper than that. It's really an inner joy. It's not a, a circumstances kind of happiness. And he said, in my kingdom, the citizens are blessed when they're like this. Do you think he had their attention after that list? Remember what they were looking for. 
They wanted a political king. They wanted somebody to throw the Romans out and restore the glory of Judaism. And he said, here's what citizens in my kingdom are like. They're poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger. They thirst. And on and on. He had their attention. And then he said, they're the salt of the world. They're the light of the earth. They're what makes this earth decent. He had their attention. And then, point two, he began to tell them what righteousness was like in the kingdom. Here's what righteousness looks like in my kingdom. Here is what is right. Understand the audience. Did the Pharisees know what was right? Oh, yeah, they knew what was right. They had their lists. And the Sadducees and the Essenes, and all of them knew what was right. Especially religiously. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, here's what's right. And this is most of the sermon. It goes from chapter 5, verse 17, clear over to seven, chapter 7, verse 6. And he starts out, I can't imagine what the Pharisees thought about this. He said, don't worry about the law, <laughs> whether I'm going to abolish it or not. That's not a problem. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. They weren't paying attention before. They were locked in now. He said, in my kingdom, my citizens have a righteousness that's different than the Pharisees. He said exceeds. But the concept is, it better be different, way different than the Pharisees. And then he began to list things. He said, you've been told not to murder. Well, I tell you, murder's not the problem. Anger's the problem. The heart's the problem. That's what my citizens know. They've told you not to commit adultery. No, you shouldn't commit adultery, but that's not the problem. The problem is lust. It's a problem of the heart. In my kingdom. They've told you not to divorce. Except for this reason, that reason, the other reason. You know what God's original plan is. They've told you to be honest by taking all these different kinds of oaths. And you swear by this and you swear by this if you really want to be telling the truth. And you swear by this if you really, really want to be telling the truth. I'm telling you, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's righteousness in my kingdom. They tell you an eye for an eye. You get even with people. That's the way it works. I tell you, no. I tell you, turn the other cheek. Don't get even with people. The world says, the kingdom of the world says to love your friends and hate your enemies. That's natural. I tell you, love your enemies. Religiously, when you give your alms, when you pray, when you fast, when you do any of the religious things. Listen now, if you do it to be seen of men, it doesn't count with God.
tell me where you store your treasures, and I'll tell you where your heart is. My people don't store up treasures on this earth. They store them up in heaven. I'm telling you, don't even worry about food and clothes and all of that stuff. You just seek the kingdom and God will take care of it. And don't be judging people. Looking around at everybody like the Pharisees and all, don't be judging people. Do you understand how shocking that had to be? Finally, his third point, he starts in chapter 7 and verse 7, and it goes to the end of the chapter. He said, now, if this sounds good to you, you just ask, you just seek, you just knock, and you'll have it. Seek my kingdom. Then listen to what he told him. He said, not many people are going to find it. He said, it's, it's like there's two gates. And one of them is a great wide gate. And most people are going to go through that because it's easy. He said, my gate's narrow. It's hard. Not many people are going to find their way in. And then he warned them about false prophets. He said, a lot of people are going to tell you something different. I'm telling you, this is the way my kingdom is. You beware of false prophets that tell you other things. And then he just kept piling it on. He said, not everybody who calls me Lord. Yeah, there are a lot of people going to call me Lord because of the things I do. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. A lot of them aren't getting into heaven. A lot of them won't, won't, won't make it into heaven. He said, there's going to be a whole lot of people that say to me in that day, we thought we did okay. We thought we did everything we were supposed to do. And I'm going to tell them, I never knew you. Never knew you. And then he closed with this. He said, now, all of these things I've told you, if you're wise, you'll live your life like that. And if you live your life like that, it will be solid. And if you're a fool, you won't live your life like that. You'll live it based on some other thing. You'll live in some other kingdom. You'll live some other way, and it's going to crash. It'll fall apart. That was a sermon, folks. He told them about the kingdom, didn't he? Not the way we think about the kingdom a lot, but that's what he, the king explained. Now, what was the response to that? Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority. Not as their teachers of the law. Now we've heard this kind of thing before. In John seven forty six, it says, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Mark one twenty two said he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes. You understand what that means? When I preach, 
when I teach to you, I'll tell you something, and then I'll justify it. Then I'll give you a scripture. Then I'll give you an illustration. You read that sermon again and see if you can find one. Jesus didn't illustrate. Jesus didn't justify. Jesus, in one sense, didn't really give you scripture. He just said, this is the way it is. This is what I say. They, this religious group, that religious group, they have told you this. I say this. They say being religious is like this. I say this. The Pharisees say if you pray where everybody can see you. If you give your alms where everybody can see you, if you fast and make a big deal out of it, they say that's religious. I say it doesn't even count with my father. Does not even count. He spoke with authority, not like their teachers. He said, here's the way it is. Now, in that little quick overview of those three chapters, Did you see the kingdom? Did you notice any differences between what Jesus described and the world's kingdoms? How the world operates? I hope you did. I hope you saw how radically different it is. And I fear that description of the kingdom is radically different From how we think about the kingdom a lot. And because it's so radically different. That's why I said we had a question for later. We've got to ask ourselves something now. I said we had a question for later. And it's 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now. There are maybe a few people here who listened to that description of the kingdom, maybe for the first time, and said to themselves, kingdom living sounds nuts. Kingdom living is completely backwards. Kingdom living is just crazy. That's not how you get ahead in the world. You know, If I tried to live like that, I couldn't hold my job. You know, and that's the truth. My boss, he's not looking for meek, humble peacemakers. He's looking for somebody that gets the job done. People like that listen to this and say, I'm not in the kingdom. And I don't want to be in the kingdom. And that's okay. Okay. Some of you look shocked. What do you mean that's okay? Who's okay with Jesus? Jesus met people like that. They thought he was pretty charismatic and he did neat things and all sorts of miracles and feeding people. And they'd come up to him and say, what do I got to do to get in the kingdom? And he'd tell them and they'd say, I can't do that. He'd say, okay. And watch him walk away. Oh, he had compassion for him. I know that. But he let him go. So some of the, a lot of the world and a few people here probably heard that description and said, well, that's just crazy. I don't want to be in that kingdom. That's okay. 
There are also maybe a few here this morning who listened to that description and said, oh, that's good. That is exactly how I want to be. That's how I want to live my life. That's what I'm seeking. I meant it this morning when I sang, Jesus is all the world to me. I meant it when I sang, nearer my God to thee. I meant it when I said, Lord, reign in me. That's what I wanted my life. I want to be just like that. Oh, I'm not there. You know, I battle the flesh every day, but that's what I'm seeking. There's a few folks like that here. But I'm guessing that probably there's a few folks here who are a little confused. After the king explained the kingdom. There's probably a few who said, well, hold it now. I'm in the kingdom. I mean, I was baptized. But I don't live like that. I'm not seeking to live like that. Listen carefully now. 2 Corinthians 13.5 doesn't say examine yourself to see if you've been baptized. It says examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. You can be baptized. You can be put in water with absolutely no heart involvement. You can get all wet without understanding what that means and what you're doing. You shouldn't, but some have. And that's why this would sound really confusing. If we have taught so much like the Pharisees that if you do this act, you're in the kingdom. And then you hear about his description of the kingdom and it doesn't match your life at all. Then you're confused. But understand where this came from. This is not me telling you about the kingdom. This is the king explaining his kingdom. Here's what my people are like. Here's what my righteousness looks like in my kingdom. And... Here's how you get in. Whenever the Bible talks about examining ourselves or evaluating ourselves, it never points to an act. It always points to a life. It says, how are you living your life is what you need to examine. Let me put it this way. Are you ever recognized as a foreigner anyplace? I'm not talking about when you go to Venezuela. I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go shopping. Are you ever recognized as a foreigner? Well, no. Nobody ever questions me. I'm not talking about your Americanism. I'm talking about your kingdomism. What kingdom do you live in? And if you're never recognized as a foreigner, maybe you have mastered the art of living in two kingdoms. You know the problem with that? Jesus said it's impossible. He said you can't live in two kingdoms. Can't serve two masters. You got to decide. You got to pick. You got to decide. Are you going to live kingdom living? If you're in the kingdom, you're going to live like that? 
or not. If you're not, then you're not in the kingdom. Well, that's what the king just explained to us. Over the next several weeks, we're going to go more slowly through the mountainside sermon. We're going to find out what kingdom living really is. hope you hear it every time. I hope we learn something new and different. I hope we start to live more like we're in the kingdom. If you're here this morning and know you're not in the kingdom, or if you know you're not living like you're in the kingdom, and you want to begin seeking his kingdom first, we're going to make that possible for you. We're going to stand and sing. Come to the front and tell one of our elders, we'd love to help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.